0: On this episode of The Playbook, I have Bob Liskowski, CEO, President, and Chairman of Quantum Computing Inc. And we're gonna talk about how my experience of being the CEO of the world's first smartphone inspired quantum computing. You can join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have Bob Liskowski, CEO, President, and Chairman of QCI. That's Quantum Computing, Inc. Bob, welcome to The Playbook. David, it is great to be here. Thank you for the invitation to join you. Well, I'm kind of nerdy, kind of a geek. I've been in technology since 92, so I'm familiar with quantum computing, but a lot of entrepreneurs are not. And the reason is it's never really been applicable to the small business owners, to the entrepreneurs, uh, let alone even to mid-sized businesses. I was hoping that you could start by just giving us a quick lesson on what quantum computing is.
1: Sure, and you know what? I'm going to take it from a very simplistic approach because I'm not a physicist, and I'm hardly capable of explaining the the real physics behind quantum computing. But I'll take everyone yeah, understand point it
0: anyway. Let's let's just get to the business issues.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know the classical computing, as we all know, you know has uh, you know it's bits and bytes, it's a zero and a one, and it's classically it's that's how the computations work, right? Very linearly and deterministically. Um, and we can do some great problems with quantum, with classical computing. I mean, obviously we are where we are today because of classical computing capabilities. Um, quantum computing in terms of what it can do that's different than classical computing is, is not just, fa- people have a tendency of thinking it's just faster, right? Quantum computing will be a faster technology, but faster is not necessarily better. What's, what's better is giving you much more complex answers, or, or a comp- answers to much more complex problems, and a diversity of answers, right? So, you think about, you know, a deterministic versus a probabilistic approach to an answer. So, for example, I use one which is, is you know, I, I like to refer to a lot is the weather patterns, right? So, hurric- we're in hurricane season. And we have all this data being collected by sensors all over the world, by satellites, by people flying into hurricanes, all sorts of stuff, radar. And we, we have a trajectory for a hurricane and how it may go over a path, right? But we really don't know what that may look like once it hits landfall until maybe 24 hours ahead of time. Because there are so many different factors that get into calculations to be able to show you that trajectory that it's difficult to compute in a rapidly you know, available basis. So instead you have all these different models that run and you see these little spaghetti charts that go up, you know, the East Coast or maybe in the Gulf and you have all these different potential paths, right? There's a European model, there's, a, there's an American model. That's because it's being done on a classical computer and then a classical computer has got limitations that it can really only handle so much data. Okay, stop. Now we move that into the quantum computing world. Quantum computing can do things in, in many different dimensions, right? So in, in a, a qubit, which is a measure of a, of a quantum computer in terms of its um, uh, sort of, not power, but you know, its computational capability, is, can be a one or a zero, or a one and a zero at the same time, right? So it's got this third dimension of the state that allows it to be much more computationally intensive than a classical computer. So instead of getting one many, many models, you'll get one really good model of a, of a, of a, a weather pattern, right? And update it on, on a really virtually a near time, a real time basis. So quantum computing will add that level of, of certainty around problems. Or you might get, uh, well, some of the things that we do, and I'll get into this more deeply about constrained optimizations, right? So there are different types of problems that quantum computers are good for. Um, the one I just described is one of them. Another one is uh, optimization or constrained optimization for supply chain logistics, trying to figure out you know, how to pack a, a truck that's gotta go X number of stops and, and make it the most efficient way, or what's the right mix of inventory and things like that. Quantum computer can really do well on that. And, um, and it'll give you a number of really good answers, depending on how, what kind of constraints you wanna say. So you pack a truck and you're gonna say, okay, under this scenario, this is the right way to pack that truck under scenario B. This is the right way to pack that truck. So you have this diverse capability doing things that you, you won't get with, with a a classical computer.
0: So. Wow. And there needs to be a bridge between the classical computer and the quantum computing. And you guys have created catalysts in order to utilize that. I remember in the early nineties, know the old legacy systems and then the convergence that we had to do to bridge the legacy systems over to all of you know the classical computing systems that exist today Uh, um, number one you know what in your words you know what does catalyst the accelerator uh program that you have uh, allow qci to do and two why do you name it catalyst
1: oh well it's a great um it's a great question on both sides So, so catalyst enables um, a company or, or user to um, pr- formulate a problem that can run on a quantum computer, right? And it, it allows that user to interface with an API, an application programming interface, to run that problem without having to have all the experience of, of quantum programming, right? Under you know some vendors like an IBM or, or you know, maybe a, a D-Wave or an IonQ provide a toolkit to enable quantum programmers to interface with that computer. So if they want to run a problem, they've they've got to spend a fair amount of time uh, programming the quantum computer, developing the application, allowing the application to run on that program, and then fine-tuning it. That may take a couple months, may take several months, depending upon the interfaces. So it's time is money. So it's one of those things. and, And not only is time and money is money, but the programming interface or the, the programming talent that you need to do that is kind of scarce, right? Hiring a, a quantum physicist or a quantum programmer is, is not, um, not a cheap thing to do. So Catalyst provides that access to an end user, a subject matter expert, a business user, user to, to run their problem on a quantum computer so they can see what those results are. But we also can run it same problem, same platform, run on a classical computer. And today, what's really interesting about that is that classical computers still outperform quantum computers. So, but if you think about getting ready for quantum, you don't have to reprogram your problem. You can run that problem on a quantum computer and admittedly, you're not gonna get a great answer compared to the classical, but you'll be able to run it. And you're not going to have to change it as those quantum computers become more capable. So. If you develop a problem you want to run, you're running it on a classical computer using Catalyst, you can do that, and you can run it on a quantum computer. And when quantum computers provide that advantage, you'll be able to run that on a quantum computer to get a better answer. Now, to your second question, why do we name it Catalyst? It's Catalyst with a Q, because everything has to be named with a Q when you're in a quantum world, right? <laughs> so I'm not the marketing guy, but I can tell you that. You know, we had a lot of talk about this, and we just thought that that name kind of fit, and it, it does fit, now, you know, from a, a descriptive. We're we're trying to be a catalyst for people to use quantum computing, because um, one of the, one of the challenges we do have, and you, I'm sure you'll get to this, but I'll maybe start talking to it a little bit. One of the challenges we have is convincing people that you know quantum is a capability today that can be utilized, and even though it may not provide an advantage yet, there are ways we can provide quantum techniques to be able to provide you some quantum advantage on a classical computer. And like I said, get ready for quantum w- while it's there. So, we want to we want to kind of dispel the notion that quantum is necessarily. while it is a couple of years away, at least, before it becomes truly advantageous. Business u- users don't have to wait for that ad- um, to get advantage out of quantum techniques. They can they can apply catalysts to be able to do that today.
0: And looking at that, there you and I share a paralleled experience from the classical computing to quantum computing from classical careers in education yeah. into quantum careers in right. education and i think you know one of the areas of resistance that more classical entrepreneurs have uh, which believe it or not i know it's against uh, public perception but most cla- most entrepreneurs are classically educated and, and traditional entrepreneurs. They, they range between 45 and 65. Although everybody loves to see the 19 year old, sure. uh, the majority of entrepreneurs and small business owners and mid business owners are 45 to 65. How have you utilized your capabilities? You know, your education from criminal justice to right. all in the public spheres. Uh, and I felt the same way when I was CEO of Samsung's first phone division and then transferred over to the notable sports agency with Lee Steinberg, sure. Everyone's was like, how the heck do you know so much about you know, these two varied things? Your career is parallel to that as well, but it's more around the skills, knowledge and desire, the capabilities uh, than anything else. How have you been able to apply the traditional education and experience that you've had to this high paced, highly uh, uh, changing quantum world?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and I appreciate that. It's a great question. And and the uh, the commonality here is it's all about people, right? You know, technology fundamentally is is what people are programming and they're using and exploiting, you know, in a positive way. But they're still people, and they need the um, the ability to to be managed. And I don't mean that in a in a it's overpowering way. I mean, people need organizational capabilities. They need structure. They need the things to be able to ensure that they can do what they can what they need to be doing in an environment which is going to be maybe risky at one level, but they need a safe environment in which to operate. So you know, so you talk about entrepreneurs and, and why the classical, you know, educational approach works for the most part It's because I think, you know, you need to have a diversity of skills to be able to manage well. Um, and I'd like to say that my education was contributing to it. I have a feeling, I, but I'm more of an experiential learner, um, which means that, you know, you kind of go to the school hard knocks and I fail a lot. Right. And like most of us, we fail, you know, and and sometimes we succeed and you know, it's that ability to kind of persevere through failure or learning from it. And um, and you can make a choice about that early, light, early on in your life, right? You can either get daunted by failure, or you can look at it as an opportunity to learn and just continue on. And I think folks like you and me and a lot of others out there kind of learn through that process. And, and that allows us to be able to get through the tough times. Because I think the one thing, again, like it's common, people need Need, they need stable leadership to go through the hard times. And this particular, you know, this past year in particular was a good example of that, right? Here we are in a startup mode, we're, you know, we're two years old, we're heading into the pandemic and you know, we're, we're not well-funded at that point. I'm looking to raise more money. And, um, you know, all of a sudden the pandemic hits and things come to a grinding halt, right? But we can't come to a grinding halt. We've got to continue, right? And our shareholders are expecting us to continue and Everybody's got a job and they're, they're continuing. So, you know, you, you had to persevere through that, and we had to just show that it's going to be okay. And I think the benefit of being older and getting and doing more of these things is you realize that it really will be okay. You know, maybe it won't look like what you expect it to look like at the end of that, but you just keep working, and and things do work out, right? And you've got to be willing to adapt and and adjust um, to not just survive but to really thrive. And we've been very lucky in that mode, right? So. I don't know if that answers your question directly you know but you know that's kind of how
0: i've got i've seen it and you know you seem to have you know and it's a i think an attribute of people that have thought through and experienced things at a thorough level is the simplicity of things so for example the simplicity of saying people you know in a very hyper technical question it was like yeah people but i think at qci uh although the subject matter is hyper complex, it's the simple goals as a leader that we set forth within right. the most complex businesses that really drive us to success. Are there any simple goals that you have at QCI uh, that you have, you know, transmitted and transferred to the entire uh, company?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. So one of the benefits of not being a physicist, not really have the technical know how is that you really have to trust the people that you brought into the company to do what they're supposed to be doing, and if you can establish that level of trust and faith in them, what their abilities are, and you empower them to do those things and lead lead well, um, it works, right? So, so my job as the CEO, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty hands on and hands off CEO at the same time, right? I, you know, I know all the people, I'm involved in the business. Of course, I, I run it, and somebody can ask me a question, I'll have an answer for them but I'm not there telling our vice president for product development, Steve Reinhardt, what to do. Right. We, we collectively set the business objectives up. We said, this is our goal. This is our strategic vision for the company. We want to provide an end user experience to people to allow them to use quantum computers. Right. Steve's Steve and Mike, um, Mike Booth, our CTO and his team, they came up with an architecture and they said, we think this is the way to go. I'm like, let's do it. And we empowered them. you know, and, um, and I think hiring, obviously, you know, it's sort of statement of the obvious, but hiring good people and trusting them to do their job and giving them the ability to do their job is absolutely essential.
0: And those relationships internally are super important, but externally relationships through that traditional experience that you've had and you created a very credible and powerful partnership that you know is going to be a catalyst with XC, no pun intended, yeah. uh, to your business uh, with Los Alamos National Lab, right. uh, world renowned. Um, you know how were you able to create such a relationship? Because you are a startup, and you know where did that credibility and comfort level come from? Do you think to create you know this trailblazing relationship uh, sure. with Los Alamos?
1: Well, quite honestly, um, Steve, as I mentioned, Steve and Mike Booth, both of whom have D-Wave experience, understood what, what Los Alamos was doing and what they were doing with their own D-Wave machine. So the ability for us to leverage our capability into the goals and objectives for Los Alamos's team um, was was good. I mean, we now we've, we've been talking to them for a couple of years now, but... Um, we had to, you know, again uh, demonstrate to them we we knew what we were talking about that the the technology that we were bringing to the table actually could show them some benefit, and it took us a while to be able to do that, but um, but just through slow, steady, hard work, the team was able to demonstrate that you know catalyst in particular could be accretive or additive to their their technology stack and help them do things that they can't currently do. So it was this perseverance. I mean, I really credit the technology team. Because of that, they just stuck with it. Because it has been a pretty long road, comparative to our lifespan, it's been at least a couple of years since we first started talking with them, and you know uh, they never gave up. You know, we we respect the folks at Los Alamos; they do great work, and uh, we knew that eventually, if we could work with them and team them, we'd we'd have a good partnership.
0: And that you do uh, last question real quick. When in 1999, I was CEO of the world's first smartphone. They actually called them oh, yeah. convergence devices way back then. Sure. It was cleverly named just like your catalyst. We named it the PC dash e-phone. It's a combination of a PC and a phone. Um, but I had some insight because I had a business perspective and I would tell people in 1999 that someday with full duplex, you could talk to somebody in China for free in color. And in 1999, they looked at me and, and literally, I was on Good Morning America saying this, and you could see still the face of the interviewer, like you're insane, That that's literally impossible. <laughs> and you do have a Bluetooth stylist that you talked to while you, you left your base station there. Um, I would be very curious as a last question, what is something that you could share with us uh, from your knowledge as a business person, uh, in quantum computing that will be capable of doing 30 years from now that you think would you know, not be believable by the masses, at least? Well, that's, that's a, again, a good,
1: really good question. But let me start off by saying this. First of all, I didn't realize that that was part of your background. And <laughs> interestingly, I, my hat's off to you, because the work that you did enabled people to understand that, while you might have a really cool technology, you need to do stuff on that technology to make it end user valuable, right? So what you just articulated, that vision of what you could do with that, you know, that, that capability, I think that kind of thinking really helps people really adopt the technology into a, in, from a, to, a useful, to a useful means, right? So I cite this example all the time. At that time, you had a flip phone or you had the emerging smartphone. So flip phone, make a phone call, maybe do some contacts on it, right? Nothing really fancy. Do some, you know, maybe texting. Smartphone came along and all of a sudden you had this plethora of of applications that you could do to actually do other things besides just make a phone. And and then now it's become your entire life, right? But that cycle of a capability, technical capability that enabled applications to be able to run. And then that virtuous cycle of people wanting to do more, needing more data, needing more capability, allowed us to get the phones we have today. I argue that's precisely where quantum computing is in its lifespan. But we've had the benefit of history that you guys have um, blazed the path with to demonstrate how that can happen even quicker. Because the more we can get people to use applications on quantum computing, it's going to drive the end user of the hardware. So today, I think the shoe is on the wrong foot. People think about hardware as being the be-all and end-all. In reality, it's the application layer that's going to be the thing that's gonna push quantum computing to be that thing that we can't even envision what it's gonna look like in 30 years. Well, I know is that 30 years ago, it would have been really hard to even think about the things we can do on a phone or even a computer today. And it's a, now it's an everyday occurrence, right? Our kids use it, right? It's just every single part of what we do. I, I can't, I wish I had a good answer for you. I, I'm not that visionary to tell you what it might look like in 30 years, but I'll say this. It's going to be a. Com- it's never going to be just a quantum computer sitting on a desk someplace. It's always going to be a combination of classical computing and, and quantum computing, working symbi- symbiotically. Because, you know, you'll always need classical computers, and quantum computers are probably always going to be in the background. I don't think you're ever going to see a quantum computer on your desktop, you know. But it'll always be there in the background, always doing things faster, and AI and robotics and all those things we're talking about today, are going to have such a capability. To, The things that we don't, the things we expect them to do that they can't quite get right yet because the complexity of the decisions that have to be made and the computational power is necessary. Once we can really get quantum advantage, those things will just start humming like crazy. So I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to get get a revelation, but
0: it, it helps me make a point. Quantum computing itself is the reason you can't look so far anymore because Uh, the speed in which we advance because of the connection between classical and quantum computing accelerates the amount of advancement technologically so that you know in 10 years you know it takes now about a month to get to where we used to get in 10 years because of that relationship so i should ask you where are we going to be in three months that would be equivalent to asking me in 99 where we're going to be in three year 30 years so uh no but great insight uh a great experience i will Uh, reiterate that everyone out there is an entrepreneur, especially uh, listening. This is why it's so important to develop your skills, your knowledge and your desire and apply that to what doesn't even exist today. And when we're able to do that, we can lead the way and we can always use those brilliant sales engineers and engineers in order to explain the things to us so that we can put it into the context where people can actually use it. And it's not just a great idea or innovation. Bob Bob Liskowski, thank you so much. CEO and President, Chairman in Quantum Computing, Inc., that's QCI, on the forefront of bringing a better life to everyone through technology. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.